We're in a series in the book of 1 John. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, you may. We're in chapter number 4, just beginning the chapter. And as an overview reminder, 1 John introduced me to something I'd never seen before. And that is eternal life, like I've shared so many times now, is more than just a duration of time. When you get saved, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what do you receive? You receive everlasting or eternal life. And that's a forever life in heaven. That's wonderful, that's glorious, but that's not all it means. Not only does it mean a forever life, but it also refers to a quality of life, the kind of life. Just growing old isn't always a good thing. If you were to visit some nursing homes and go from room to room, you will find some people with longevity, some old people, but you'll find some that are not having a good life. So just living for a long time or forever is only part of the story. The eternal life that is offered by Christ is a life full of quality, of blessings. And that life, that eternal life, you receive at the moment of salvation. You receive the access to that kind of a quality life the moment you put your faith and trust in Christ. Now, most of us are oblivious to it. I was 11 years old when I trusted Christ. All I knew was I didn't want to go to hell. So I knelt down and trusted Jesus Christ. I knew nothing of the life of Christ. I knew nothing of what, what I've been calling this eternal life stream or the life of Christ. It's been a glorious journey learning about that and learning all that is offered in this thing called eternal life. Well, today we're going to look at an aspect of it. I want to read the first six verses of 1 John 4. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, John says, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This previous chapter, in the end of verse number chapter 3, it taught us that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, indwells the believer. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, never to leave. You are no longer alone. The Spirit of God is indwelling you. Satan 
does not want you to learn about this life stream of Christ, the life of Christ. He wants you to be ignorant of it. He wants you to stay as far away from the life of Christ as possible. He wants to discourage you in any way possible. And one of his greatest techniques is deceit. Deceit is a liar. John here gave instructions how to recognize the right spirit, the right voice, the right teaching. My goodness, there is a lot of teaching going on out there. The internet is full of Bible teaching. TV evangelists all over the place. If all you care about is getting some Bible teaching but don't really care if it's right or not, just turn on the internet and let it roll. It'll be happy to fill your mind. But if you are sincere about wanting to know the truth, what's God say? then you need to follow the admonition that John gives here. He says, test the spirits. We're going to talk about that. So what am I hearing? Truth or error? Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love, and thank you for being truth. And I pray, dear Lord, that today you might help us to understand an aspect of the responsibility of the Holy Spirit of helping us to discern truth. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to get to know him better. And I pray, Lord, we'll, we will be better discerners between truth and error as a result of studying your word. Thank you for this time. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, believe not everything you hear, we might say. Don't believe everything. Instead, you need to really prove what you're hearing. Try the spirits, he says. The word means to test them, to have them approved, to discern them, to examine them. Another word is to prove them. Here are some personal proofs of the Holy Spirit's filling. Do you want to know if you are Holy Spirit filled? You want to know? I've seen some people that you would think by looking at them, that, oh, they had the Spirit. My goodness, they were just going at it. Was that, in fact, an evidence of the Holy Spirit's filling? Is that, in fact, what the Bible says is an evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit? Now, very quickly, when you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit, but you didn't necessarily get the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let me simplify. You got the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God came to live in you, but at that moment... He didn't have all of you because you were still in control. The Spirit of God was in you and the access to Him was all there, but you had not as yet learned to give Him that control because you were hanging tight on that. So He was indwelling you but not filling you because you were refusing to allow Him to fill you. But I want to be filled. I want to be filled with the Spirit of God. I want Him to direct me. I want Him to give me truth. I want Him to give me discernment. I want Him to motivate me. How do you know if it's just my emotions out of control or if, in fact, it is the Spirit of God? Gratefully, God answers that question. In Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 18, He says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 
And then he goes on to say, here's what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. He gives some participles, beginning in verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The thought here is singing meaningful praises to the Lord as your heart and mind are fully engaged. It's singing from your heart to the Lord. How do you know if your Holy Spirit filled? Well, the Bible says there'll be a melody in your heart. You're not going to walk around always bummed out. Man, life is so hard on me. Can I get through another day? This is just too much. No, if that's the case, then you're not Spirit-filled. Why? Because one of the evidences of the Spirit's filling is a melody in your heart to the Lord. What was Paul and Silas doing at midnight after being beaten ruthlessly? They were singing praises. Why? Because it wasn't them. It was the Spirit of God in them. Verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first evidence of being Holy Spirit filled is singing from your heart to the Lord. The second is being thankful for all things. Now we can fake the first one pretty well. We can come to church and we can sing the songs and we can fake a smile. Giving thanks for all things? It's easy to thank the Lord for good things. You get a raise at work. I'm thanking the Lord. True Spirit of God filling allows us to thank God for even the difficult and hurtful things. been many years ago now, but after our son's death, about a year after that, my wife started showing some evidence of, some, of, of her disease, and of course it was, we knew nothing about it at the time. But it was beginning to manifest itself about a year after Nathan's death. Her muscles would shut down. We noticed that one of the first places we noticed it was in choir. She'd sing in choir, and uh, in that particular church, the choir had to be up for a good portion of the beginning of the service. They'd sing all of the congregational songs up there. They'd stand up there doing their announcements. And so there were quite a while. So by the time they, they were done, she'd go to walk off. She couldn't walk. Their muscles had just let down. It had to be helped off. We were eventually given a diagnosis of myasthenia gravis, which is her muscle disease. And I think it was partly because we were still pretty raw, pretty tender after our son's death. But I'm sad to admit, it took some time before we could thank God for her disease. Now, I'm glad we did, because God has used that in so many ways in our lives. He's revealed a lot about himself, his own nature, as we've seen her walk, having to find her strength in the Lord. So how do you know that the Spirit of God is filling you? One way is when you can thank God for the hard things. Thirdly, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 
I raised some bandy chickens, these miniature chickens for a while when I was very young. And uh, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. But these bandies, these roosters, they love to fight. They're they live to fight. That's, that's their life. If they're not fighting somebody else, they're not happy. It's funny, you take these two roosters, and they come out, and it's morning, and they're trying to outcrow each other in the morning, and they come out, and they, they puff their old chest out, and their feathers flutter, and all of a sudden, they're, they're, they're at each other. They're just at each other. Kind of like some men I've seen. They walk in, and they see each other, and all of a sudden, you see this, the chest gets puffed out, Head goes back a little bit. You can just see them, just like two root chickens coming at each other. And, and they start talking to each other, and the jaw stuck, struts out, and, and, and the, the, ele the, the volume elevates, and you can just see the tension building as these two roosters are going at it. Isn't it interesting that one of the evidences of the Spirit's filling is submitting yourselves one to another? It's not this, it's this. The biblical admonition in this verse basically means don't get puffed up. <laughs> don't get puffed up. Be willing to listen and digest and submit in Christ-like meekness. That's the concept here. Submitting. So how do you know you're Holy Spirit-filled? Well, obviously, just thinking this through, that does not come naturally. Your natural impulse is to not do these things. That's not the natural for many of us. And so when these things happen, you know it's not you. It's something else in you. Ah, <laughs> the Spirit of God finally has control in me. There's some positional tests, I call them, of the Holy Spirit's filling. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. See this principle of submitting, being under, being under authority. Obviously, we're to be under God's authority. But then he gives us some, some practical outworkings of that. The, uh, the church is to be submissive to God. An illustration of that is the wives sub submitting. <laughs> when our girls were, were young, there'd be times where they'd have to be disciplined. And I remember it vividly, though it's been many, many years ago now. <laughs> My wife and I grew up in different, different homes, different kinds of homes. I grew up in a home where discipline was done firmly but lovingly. And she grew up in a home where discipline was done when there was anger. You know, dad would get angry, well, she'd get disciplined. Anger, always anger. Slam the door, run out. And so when it was time for... We had children, it's time to discipline them. Her, her concept of discipline was a fearful one. It was one where she had not seen it done appropriately, and so we had some times to work through. And she's told me since this time, and she's told others that when I would take one of our children off and we'd have a, a time of discipline, she'd have to, 
through tears, she'd be sitting on her hands begging God, begging God to help her because she wanted to spare her child from what was going through. You know what she's doing? She was submitting. Now, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about an abusive situation. I'm talking about simply, simply submitting to, to godly authority. In verse 25, in the same passage, it says, Husbands, love your wives. How? <laughs> I chuckle at this because, and the passage has quite a bit to say about wives submitting. And so I'm not a wife. So I say, go get it, God. Let her have it. <laughs> this, is, this is great. Teach those wives to submit. <laughs> get them in their place, Lord. And then he only has one thing to say to guys. And they say, that's right. That's right. That's all we need. Just one little thing. The wives, they're the ones that need all the teaching, all the correcting, because we guys, we got our, our ducks in line. We're pretty good, right? Let me read you the one thing, just one that God says to the men. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, be Christ in the home. Be perfect. Love like Jesus did. Give up your will completely for the will of your wife. Woo! I thought the wives had a bad. The husband has to be Jesus in the home. That's what he's saying. How does this happen? It happens through the Spirit of God's filling. That's how it happens. That is so contrary to our nature. But when we yield our will to His, and the Spirit of God takes over, all of a sudden we see evidences of the Spirit's filling. <laughs> Here's some practical discernment of the Spirit's filling found in verse 20 and 21 of the book of John. John 3, 20 and 21. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Practical discernment. Is the person you're dealing with being real secretive? Unwilling to share much about their past, their successes, their failures? Is he giving the impression he's hiding something? Is he acting like the truth that he's sharing with you is just between you and him? Spirit of God says, be careful. Be careful. There's red flags going off in your spirit. Little warning signs going off in your spirit. Ooh, be careful. Careful. In John 5, 39, it gives us positive approval of the Holy Spirit's filling. How can I know? John 5, 39, search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Paul says, 2 Timothy 3.15 and following, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God teaches us to try the spirits, 
to discern, am I hearing truth? And what is one of the tools he gives us? His word. God gives us the Bible to teach us how we can discern, is this truth or not? Is it matching up to the Bible? If it's not, it's not true. There are many false prophets in the world. There were in John's day. And they have multiplied exponentially in our day. And one of the intentions is to draw disciples away. Acts 20, 29, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. You see, false prophets are highly motivated. False prophets are highly motivated to split the flock and to divide them off and to get them away from a good church. They deny the truths of Christ. 2 Peter 2.1 But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily or privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. They deny the truths of Christ, the power of Christ, the authority of Christ. They deny Christ's literal presence. 2 John 1, 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. False teachers often stress intellectual concepts instead of the actual presence of God. Verse 2 in our text. 1 John 4, 2, Hereby know we the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now in John's day, when John is writing this epistle, there was a great attack on the authority of God's Word. And there were many false teachers coming along, and much of 1 John is a rebuttal, a fight against those teachings that were coming along. One of the teachings said that Jesus did not literally come in the flesh. Oh, they could see him. They could talk to him. But he was not really in the flesh. He was what they called a phantom. Not real. Well, my Jesus is real. He was real when he came and was born as a virgin, from a virgin. He was real as he grew up and lived a sinless, spotless life. He was real when he went to the cross and died for the sins of mankind. And there is the rub. Because if he were not real in human flesh, he could not have paid for the sins of mankind. But in his human flesh, he died, shed his blood for the remission of sins. No wonder the devil's attacking that. He does not want you to believe the very truths of salvation. False teachers. Hereby, verse 2, know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Which leads me to say, you and I, we need to know the Holy Spirit. 
Ooh, now you're getting spooky. What do you mean, know the Holy Spirit? Are you getting charismatic on me? <clears throat> the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God. You have no qualms about knowing the Father. You have no qualms about knowing the Son, Jesus Christ. Why have we allowed this lie from the devil that keeps us at arm's length from the Holy Spirit? We need to know intimately the Spirit of God. For the Spirit of God is that part of the Trinity, the Godhead, that Jesus left when he went to heaven. Jesus says, I'm no longer going to be with you. I'm going to go to my Father, but I will leave another comforter, he called him, the Holy Spirit, that will dwell on earth with mankind. And when you put your faith and trust in him, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. You're no longer alone. We need to know him. The word know here means to know by experience. How do you get to know the Holy Spirit? You get to know Him by experience. Through prayer, and Bible study, meditation on God's Word, becoming sensitive to His leading and His conviction. We are expected to know the Holy Spirit. This, uh, this, this, word, this phrase here, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. If you check the grammar here, it's listed as either indicative or imperative. It can go either way. So it's either stated as a fact, meaning I'm assuming you know the Word of God or the Spirit of God. You know the Spirit of God. It's either stated as a fact or it's stated as a command. You must know. The Spirit of God. In either case, God is saying you are expected to know the Spirit of God. Knowing the Spirit demands a relationship. How can you know somebody without a relationship? Before I asked my wife to marry her, I got to know her. It's pretty wise for a couple getting married. Let's get to know each other first. I got to know her. And we dated for several years. Oh, I thought I knew her. Till we got married. And all of a sudden, I realized I didn't know her as well as I thought I knew her. But now in these over 45 years of marriage, I've gotten to know her pretty well. But do you know how I've gotten to know her? Through a relationship with her. We spend time together. We go on dates together. We love being together. I look forward to coming home to her. I even send her texts or calls during the daytime. There's a relationship there. So how do you get to know the Holy Spirit? Come to church? Okay, that's part of it. But how about when you leave the church? Any kind of communing with God? You thinking about God at all? Monday morning rolls around, time to go to church or time to go to work. <laughs> Last thing in the world you're thinking about is God because you've got to get ready for work and all the pressures of work. 
Wouldn't it be wise, don't you think? Keep God, first and foremost, in your consciousness on Sunday and Monday and the rest of the week. Getting to know God intimately. We need to know Him. We're expected to know Him. And it demands a relationship. The Spirit of God is recognizable by refer references to Christ. One way to recognize His Spirit, the Spirit of God, is what the Spirit says about Christ coming in the flesh. As the Spirit you're listening to backs up the truths of Scripture, then you're, you'd be, you could be more likely inclined to believe that it's the Holy Spirit. Here is a test for recognition. Verse number 3. God wants you to know the truth. Verse 3. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now is already in the world. So is it a spirit from God? Well, the Holy Spirit confesses that Jesus came in the flesh. He wasn't a phantom. He was real. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. The, the, the verb tense here indicates that Jesus already came in the flesh. He came, and the effects of that coming are continuing on. I, today, after 2,000 years from that event, am still being affected by what happened when He came in the flesh. Coming in the flesh enabled Jesus to be tempted at all points, like as we. Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but within all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Trials you've gone through, he's been there. Temptations you faced, he's been there. In all points or in all different categories and all kinds of temptations and trials, Jesus experienced here in the flesh as a human. We, we underestimate the fact that he was all man because we know he was all God. But he was all man and experienced the temptations and the trials as a human completely, just like you and I do. Coming in the flesh enabled Jesus to also fully sympathize with us. Hebrews 2.17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are being tempted. He runs alongside and encourages us. He puts his arm around us. Why? Because he was tempted. He knows the feeling. When we're tempted, he runs alongside and says, it's going to be all right. I can help you. You're going to make it. Coming in the flesh enabled Jesus to literally die for us. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Death in the flesh. In the flesh. 
as a real human being in the flesh. So is it the spirit of Antichrist that I'm hearing? Is it the spirit that is against Christ that I'm hearing? Oh, it can be so subtle, so deceptive. Think of the garden. And the conversation that was going on between Eve and the serpent. So close to the truth. Yea, hath God said? Is that really what God said? Is that really what he said? Think about it, Eve. Are those the exact words that God said? He didn't mean you'll really die, he said. Is this the spirit of Antichrist? This was John's rebuttal to what was called the Docetic Gnostics, who were teaching that Jesus did not really come in the flesh. Gnosticism, false teachings in John's day. And there's a significant amount of it going on today. Verse 4, 1 John 4, 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I love that verse. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Here's a contrast in ownership. He said, you, he calls his, his believers little children, you, little children, are of God. Saved disciples of Christ. They had overcome the spirit of the world. The teachings of the world, the voices of the world, worldliness itself trying to draw people into their wicked ways. But the people to whom he was speaking had not fallen for it. They had overcome it. In 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Why is it, why is it that it seems like no matter what they're advertising, they oftentimes do it immorally or seductively? They, they take things that have absolutely nothing to do with that and they put some seduction on there. Ridiculous. Why? Because the world promotes the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's what's in the world. And the world can't get it out of their system. The world has to put vulgarity in their movies. They have to do that. They don't have to do that for our sake. My land, it'd be a wonderful movie if they'd have all that junk in it, but they have to put the junk in it. Why? Because the world is infected. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's what's in the world. And if they're not injecting that junk into everything, they're not being successful. That's the spirit of the world we're talking about. He said, you are of God. You're owned by God. You need not be a part of that spirit. You need to be a part of His spirit, the Holy Spirit filling you. The spirit of the world is carnal and fleshly. And the spirit of the world is at enmity or an enemy of God. They're at odds. 
Here's God over here. Here's the world. And they're fighting each other. So if you're listening to the world, guess what that puts you? On the side of the enemy. James 4.4 Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You listen to the spirit of the world, you become an enemy of the one who truly loves you, God. He says, you are of God, verse 5, they are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. Why? Because their talk is worldly. Ephesians 2.2, 2, Wherein in time past, before, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Before you got saved, before you were righteous, made righteous in Christ, you walked according to that evil spirit, the spirit of the world, he said. John 8, 44, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. If you're not on God's side, he said, if you're not of God, you're of the world. They're accepted by the world, and the world loves its own. Oh, the world will fight for its own. The world will stand up and defend its own. John 15, 19, if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the Lord hateth you. Why did they hate Christ so much? Because he was anti-world. Christ was the opposite of the world, and the world hated him. The world, sadly, accepts those that hate Christ. John 17, 13, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So it brings us, the whole thing, to a conclusion. John says, know the spirits. We've talked about this. A spirit that's holy, the Holy Spirit. And there's a spirit of the world, and everything about the world is fleshly and carnal against Christ. Do you notice there's no in-between? Notice that? It's either you are of God or you are of the world. Oh, now, Pastor Outler, there, I got you there. See, I go to church. I go to church, and I even carry a Bible when I go to church. I got you there. Now, it's, it's, I understand, during the, week, during the week, I live for myself, and I do what I want. But on the weekends, I give it to God, so you can't tell me. Yes, I can. According to God, you're of Him, or you're of the world. So which is it? Which is it? You say, well, I'm sitting in church now, aren't I? Yeah. Uh, so does the devil. So do his demons. They love sitting in church. They love looking around and watching the responses. They love sitting in church. So what's the conclusion? Well, first of all, he said, we 
are of God, or ye are of God. So when we know it's of God, we gain great confidence by proving the spirits. When we know this is God, then we can go out there in great confidence and do whatever it is that we know is of Him. When we know it's the truth of God's Word, we can stand on that confidently. Secondly, knowing God experientially allows us to discern the truth. He that knoweth God heareth us, it says. So when we get to know God through a relationship with Him, you know it's true. When you get to know somebody, you get to know how they think. And you know how they're going to feel on certain subjects. You don't have to go to them everything and ask them because you already know how they feel about certain things. So how do you get to know what God feels about certain things? By developing a long-standing relationship with Him. And that relationship is based upon the authority and truth of God's Word. Thirdly, failure to discern the truth. When I am not able to discern, is this truth or error? It tends to indicate that we don't know God well enough. The verse says, He that is not of God heareth not us. The answer is in knowing God better. And fourthly, we can know the spirits, or truth or error, by knowing God. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. For by knowing God, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, here's what I've been hearing. Is it truth or error? Here's the preacher I've been listening to. Is it truth or error? Here's the book I've been reading. Is it truth or error? Here's the evangelist I've been listening to. Is it truth or error? What you're hearing from me right now, is it truth or error? Is there evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit? Are you giving evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit? Because if the Spirit of God is filling you, He is giving you discernment. Truth against error. Is there evidence of what you're hearing from the Word of God? Does the Bible support what you're hearing? Is there sufficient truth in God's Word to support these tenets, these ideas, these spirits that you're hearing? And thirdly and lastly, is there evidence in your own life of a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? I don't mean you just know Him. I mean you know You know it. You know the Spirit of God. So is this truth or error? Notice how they all deal with knowing God. Notice how discernment comes from God. Notice how knowing the difference between truth and error all revolves around God and His Word. But he's a good preacher. I really love the stories he tells. It's got to be right, right? We're going to be held accountable. 
for what we listen to and the decisions we make. And the people whose lives we influence. It's important for us to know the truth. Have you tried the spirits? Have you proven them before God? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt? Do you have the confidence to know that what you're hearing is true? Or is it error? John today has given us a way in which we can discern the difference between truth and error. I trust, I trust that you will take these and apply them to your own life. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning, there's a spiritual battle going on. We don't see it. We don't feel it. We know what's going on because you've told it. There is a spirit of Antichrist that very much wants to put deceit in our minds, wants to convince us not to listen to your truths. Lord, that spirit is so deceptive. And Lord, many strong men have been deceived by it. Many great minds have been deceived by it. So I pray, Lord, that today you might help us to get to know you better, get to know your word better. And may we be very good discerners between truth and error. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. When you came in this morning, I've got a question for you. Do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, when you die, where you're going to go? Do you know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven, or do you have some doubt? Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for the sins of all mankind. And from us, he asks that we but confess that we are sinners. He already knows that. And to put our faith and trust in Him and Him alone to forgive our sins and to save us. Has there been a time in your life where you've come to Christ personally and by faith confessed that you're a sinner and trusted Him and Him alone? If not, you could today. I wonder, is there anyone in this audience with nobody looking around who would say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven when I die, but I want to know, would you pray for me? I will not call any names out. I would not embarrass you. Anyone who would lift their hand and say, Pastor, pray for me, I don't know, but I want to know. Anyone? Dear Lord, I thank you for this time, and I thank you so much for this truth, and I pray that you might burn it in our souls and help us to get to know you and your spirit better. We'll thank you for it, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.